I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about re-entry. I'm not talking about a spacecraft re-entering our atmosphere. I'm referring to when you've been away, for instance, on a study week and then a vacation week, and you re-enter your real life where you live and breathe and have your being. And I don't know about you, but it always seems like that that is a tough re-entry. Not quite like not quite like entering the atmosphere, but almost. Um, Jody and I have this rule that when I'm out of town, she doesn't tell me about all the things that have gone on that have been bad. She's happy to, I'm happy to hear about all the great things, but I don't want to hear about anything that's going on because I want to be able to enjoy my time away. It's my, it's my Sabbath, it's my rest, it's my release. But yesterday, or actually not yesterday, but on Thursday as I was driving through South Georgia, which there's nothing quite as depressing as South Georgia. So I said, well, go ahead, tell me exactly what's been going on while I've been gone. And she said, well, we had a root grow up into our pipe and it was causing all of our toilets to back up. And I thought, oh man, here we go. Re-entry, right? Re-entry. Okay, well, that's great. Um, she goes, oh, and by the way, also our air conditioning is not working. All the kids are going to be home this weekend, including a guest dog. We had an extra dog. We had Paige and we had Jake who are still here. And we had Andy and Charlie and Samantha and then our grand dog, Tex, and then Pekka, who's our, our grand dog's cousin, I guess is the way we describe this. So this whole dog thing has gotten a little crazy, but, um, but we, we loved having them. But no air conditioning. It's like, oh man, this is tough. But the air conditioning guys are coming at one. All right, I won't be home till later, so, you know, move on. So get down to Starbucks at Tifton. I think, boy, I deserve a Starbucks today. Happy hour. So I pull in for my Frappuccino, and I look at my text message, and it's the vineyard pastor, Mike Rayburn. Hey, just want to let you know, we found a building, and we're probably going to close in July. Now, in case you're not on the vestry, we've sort of expected that we'd have a renter uh, for Sunday afternoons here in our space, at least for a year, to sort of help us with the transition financially of owning your own building, and your own air conditioning bill, and janitorial work, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, wow, this is going to... See, now you're in the same place that I was, re-entry. It's just keep coming. I'm thinking, man, what, what else, right? You know, it just goes on and on. But, you know, it doesn't really have to be uh, a re-entry from a vacation. It can just be the circumstances of life. I look out at the group that's in front of me. Good to see all of you guys. I've missed you. And I, I can imagine the things that have been going on in your lives. You know, things unexpected. Health news, maybe. Family news. Some of it good. Some of it bad. Fears. Concerns for the future. I personally, when I go to the mountains, which is where I've been hiking for several days, I, I don't have any cell phones, so I don't know anything about what's going on in the economy or what, what's been going on in Washington, or I'm, I'm oblivious to all that, and it's, it is wonderful. I highly recommend it. But it comes rushing in all too soon. And in the midst of all of the things that are happening to our lives, things that we're worried about or things that we're fearful of that we don't even know, it is helpful for us to remember that we are not simply cyclical creatures going around and around and around the same old thing. 
In my class two weeks ago, I heard someone say, the problem with the modern liberal viewpoint is that it is a, it's, a, it's a world that we have to make for ourselves, and we're completely alone in the process. But that's not our reality as Christians. Stanley, How Stanley Hauerwas has said, he's a theologian, has said that, that we are a part of a story that we did not choose, nor do we make, but rather we're in the story of God. We're in God's great story. And so it is helpful for me on re-entry and being back with you guys and facing all the ups and downs and the unknowns that are in our lives to remember that we're a part of the story and to see that we can find and locate ourselves in that story and be comforted for whatever we're facing. And it's really in all the scriptures. I don't usually do this, but for a couple of seconds, let me just remind you of the lectionary, what you heard Bill read David read in the psalm and, and what I just read from, from Mark because it really re encapsulates the great story of God in a very brief form. First, we've got that famous passage from Job. I love it. Dress, put on clothes like a man. I'm about to speak to you, Job. That's, that's the Alex translation of what God says to Job. Because where were you when I created this world, when I laid its foundations, when I gave the boundaries to the oceans and set up the, the world? Let me tell you, there is nothing like going to the mountains for a few days. We're now up in Virginia, and you are walking along these incredible mountains that are so old. One of the oldest land masses in the entire planet is the Appalachian Mountains. So diverse in, in species of plants and animals and and, and it's just an amazing place to be. And you realize really quickly that there is a grand design of creation and that we are a part of something that is much, much larger than us. And that there is one who has made it and placed us in this world. Creation. We don't simply try to make meaning out of randomness. We are a part of of creation and there is a creator who has made us who is, has a purpose for our lives has given us that job gets reminded of that in a really powerful way as god confronts him after all of his friends all their speculations about all the things that are going on and why things are going wrong for job why it's his fault or why it's not his fault god intervenes and says look i am your creator he's silent before me but then our psalm goes on to remind us that, that God didn't simply create the world, but that He, in fact, is also the Redeemer of the world. And that He is redeeming His people in the world. David pointed it out, but let me just remind you again that, that this is a wonderful psalm. I don't know that I've ever really seen this. I, you know, we're all very, very familiar with that repeating frame. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We've heard that in songs and praise songs a lot and a lot. But the, the psalmist actually recounts Four different situations where people find themselves. And it's the word some. It's in verse 4, 10, 17, and 23. Some wandered in desert wastes. Amen? Can some of you relate to that? Have you been in desert waste? Or were you in a desert waste part of your life? And then God redeemed you, the psalmist says. Some were prisoners of affliction. 
You were afflicted by things that were not of your own making. And then the psalmist goes on to say, and yet God has redeemed you from those things. Verse 10. Verse 17. Some were fools in their sinful ways. I won't ask you to raise your hand if that's your story. But it relates to some of you. I see one hand up in the balcony. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that honesty. And then lastly, 23. And some were victims of natural disasters. You were just business people out in the world. You were out at sea to do business. And this great storm came upon you and you had nothing to do. And yet, the psalmist says, God redeemed you. Four different scenarios that I think probably I didn't, not an exhaustive study, but it probably would, would every one of us could identify with one of those things as being our story. That, that we were in the midst of something and God redeemed us from it. He is not only a creator God, but he is a redeeming God. We need to remember that. And then 2 Corinthians comes around and Paul tells us that actually the, the way God has redeemed us is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ came to die. He who knew no sin, very famous, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin, whose, whose physical body was made, yes, flesh, yes, human, and yet without sin, he who knew no sin, became sin, took on sin, redeeming us on the cross that we might be made the righteousness of God, Paul says. And as a result of that, we have been recreated, made new creations. That is so important. It, it's so important for our life to, individually and for our lives corporately to know that the Lord is doing a work of redemption in us he is making us new regardless of what we can see. Though our bodies are wearing out, I, I, I thought maybe I wasn't as good a shape as I hiked this year. I think it just may be that I'm a year older. But despite the physical limitations and the realization of the weakness of our flesh, our outer body, God is making us new. We are new creations in Christ. He's also making us new corporately. One of the focuses for our class this week was on, was on the doctrine of the church, what we call ecclesiology. And this, this overwhelming sense that, that we're a part of something that is much bigger than us, that extends all the way back through history to every person that's ever bowed the knee to Christ and extends into the future for all those who will be born and serve Christ, and that, that we are the church that is triumphant. We're the body of Christ in the world. Let me just say that means much more than just the metaphor. That Christ is working in us both individually, but even more importantly, corporately, that we would be his body in this world. We're a part of that. We're a part of this new creation. We're a part of what God's doing to redeem all creation. So despite what our eyes see and our ears hear and the, the effects of time has on our physical bodies, we continue to remember, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that we have been made new in Christ. And he is bringing those new creations to a conclusion, a telos in the Greek, an end that is glorious. 
that is glorious. God wins. That's the end of the story. God defeats his enemies. The wicked will perish, the psalmist reminds us. God will bring us to his glorious conclusions. Right there in our, in our three readings, creation, redemption, new creation, it's all right there, reminding us of this great story that we're in. And so we come to the gospel. In the everyday struggle that you and I find ourselves, these poor disciples, they had obeyed Jesus, they'd gone out on the lake, going to the other side. Jesus, we know, is physically exhausted from the reading. That's why he's sleeping, he's tired. They took him in the boat with them in his current state, meaning that as exhausted as he was, and other boats are with them. And they get out in the Sea of Galilee. And if you ever, Sea of Galilee, if you haven't ever been there, I hope you get to go. It's a, it's a lake, maybe, you know, five miles wide, maybe, maybe six miles deep, and, and, or, or lengthwise and widthwise. And it's a big lake, and it's 628 feet below sea level. So it literally sits in a bowl below the Earth's surface. And the hills around it cause lots of windstorms, and, and therefore it's known for its tempest. And so in the Greek, the words that are literally being used to describe these storms are an earthquake of water is crashing upon these boats. This is not a little rainstorm with some lightning. This is a storm, a tempest that the disciples find themselves in. And Jesus is asleep in the stern. Do you feel like that? Let me tell you, when I'm driving back into, Jack, back into Jackson, back into Gainesville from Georgia, and I'm hearing about these things that are going on personally and then things that are happening corporately, I'm thinking, man, you know, I know God is with me if I make good decisions, but is he with me if I make bad decisions? Maybe we shouldn't have bought a building. Maybe we shouldn't have, I shouldn't have bought a new house. Maybe I shouldn't have gone into full-time Christian ministry. You know, everything kind of comes just like, you know, in those moments, Jesus is asleep in the bow, and I'm up here going, oh my gosh, you know. How easy we fall into bad theology. I mean, what kind of a God only blesses us when we do exactly what's right? Not the kind of God we serve, not the God of grace and mercy. Amen? See, we easily forget that Jesus is with us. And that it's not just something that we're, we're doing on our own here, that we're living out his story. We're, we find ourselves in it and we remember that we're a part of it and that he is working in us to his good end. Jesus wakes. Now, he's not asleep because he's indifferent. And, and he is tired because he has a physical human body. He became flesh. He took on creation. So he, he, he is tired physically, but he's not asleep because he's, he's indifferent. He's asleep because he's not worried about the storm. And he's not worried about the storm because he's the Lord of the storm. He who created the wind and the waves, set the boundaries to the oceans, laid the foundation to the earth, this same God is the person of Jesus. Paul says, in Christ, Colossians 1, all things, in Christ all things were made for him and by him. 
Jesus is with us and he cares. He calms the storm and calls the disciples to be at peace, to fear not, but rather to have faith. You see, that's the challenge every day, is to have faith that we're a part of something that is greater than us, that God began at the dawn of time, and that he will conclude when he brings us to his glorious end. That we're not alone. That we don't have to create meaning and purpose for ourselves, but rather we simply find our place in the story and have faith to continue to journey on to that glorious end. I don't know about you, but this encourages me. It encourages me to step back from my life a little bit and realize that I'm journeying with Christ. That I'm a part of creation and redemption and new creation, and I'm moving towards his end, and that I get to be a part of that story. And Paul says that I get to be an ambassador for Jesus, to tell others that they're not alone, left to make their own meaning and purpose. And that Christ is with us. Remember he said, Pentecost, I go away, but I will send you another comforter, the Spirit. The third person of the Trinity who dwells with us and in us and can be called upon. So I had this sort of come to Jesus moment as I crossed over from Georgia into Florida and I said, okay, Lord, you know, I felt like that's, that's that Dr. Seuss book, you know, the trouble in Swalaswalu, the banks of the beautiful river Wahoo, where they never have troubles, or at least very few, you know, and he, he goes away and he finds out that everywhere he goes, there are troubles as well. You haven't read that book? That's really good theology. You guys need to bone up on your, your, your Dr. Seuss. But he, what he says is, you know, I'm going to go back home, but this time my troubles are going to have trouble. And that's true. Because we go home, we come home, we face tomorrow, with the God who loves us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who created us, who redeemed us, who's made us new creations, and is bringing us to his glorious end. Ours is simply to journey with him in this process. Let's go forward together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.